This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. SCP-6002. All creatures, great and small. I've made a couple of videos so far covering various anomalies that are beneficial in different ways to the Foundation or humans in general. Questions often come up on why the Foundation doesn't utilize anomalies more to benefit mankind, and we've even seen entire scenarios play out in which the Foundation does exactly that, with positive results. Generally though, the Foundation's MO is to secure, contain, and protect, not improve. Sometimes, however, individuals within the Foundation get some bright ideas, and do things with the best of intentions, but the worst results. Such is the case of SCP-6002. SCP-6002 begins by notifying us that by accessing this file, a Foundation Cognito Mole will be embedded into our subconscious, allowing them to track all of our movements and biosignature for up to 72 hours. It's a small price to pay, so let's continue. We're then informed that the person accessing this file is a Dr. Rose Wildcat. SCP-6002 is described as a massive organic structure within Klamath National Forest in Northern California. It is similar in appearance to a sequoia tree, but its base has a diameter of 91 meters and it rises to over 800 meters tall, or around half a mile. Each section of the structure possesses different genetic composition and similar gene sequences are grouped together in a way resembling the biological tree of life. The tree is broken up into the three domains of life, archaea, bacteria, and eukarya, and further grouped together by kingdom, phylum, and so on. 14% of the genetic samples taken from the tree match currently known organisms, both non-anomalous and anomalous. The rest do not match anything known, believed to represent species currently undiscovered on the planet, and it's further believed that the tree contains the genome of every living thing. That's anomalous enough, but it goes much further than that. Modifying any of the genetic material contained within the tree will proceed to modify every living creature that shares said genetic material simultaneously. As an example, if the genetic material for the sandhill crane was modified in some way within the tree, all living sandhill cranes would experience that change. The repercussions of an anomaly like this are potentially massive, as any significant damage to the tree could drastically alter Earth's ecosystems, especially since humans are represented on the tree as well. What's worse, is that since at least 2014, the tree has been severely impacted by an anomalous genetic infection. 
The origin of this infection is known to the Foundation, but it's been expunged, so we'll get to that later. So far, the infection has done quite a bit of damage to the tree, and thus a number of living creatures, and it's believed that the infection has resulted in the complete loss of at least 56,000 species so far. The Foundation has obviously been very hard at work trying to combat the infection, but it hasn't been easy, or without complications. The only way they've figured out so far to stop it is to completely cut off the infected areas from the tree. This works, of course, but has resulted in the further loss of even more species, a number that the Foundation has removed from the records. Despite cutting away the infected parts, though, the infection continues to return and spread across the tree, and they think that it will reach the section containing humans no later than the year 2100. The tree in its entirety will likely be completely destroyed within 300 years. That brings us to Dr. Wildcat, who leaves a comment on the document saying that when she was in fifth grade, she told her mother that she wanted to be an astronaut. Her mother replied that she is to never leave this planet, as it needs her here. At the time, that pissed her off, but she later realized that it wasn't meant to be a restriction, but rather a vote of confidence from an old Indian mother to her little girl. The Cognito Mole chimes in to report that her comment has been recorded and her activity will be monitored, but Rose is fine with that, as she wants the O5s to see her activity, writing that the Master's tools will never dismantle the Master's house. It turns out that Rose is the director of Project 6002 ARC, and we're given an addendum in which she discusses the history and discovery of the tree. The concept of a tree of life appears widely throughout human history, from the tree of life in the Garden of Eden to the Norse Yggdrasil. It was presumed for a while that no connection existed between these various representations, but further analysis has revealed some marked similarities between each of the depictions and SCP-6002, including shape and number of branches, relative trunk and crown sizes, and even locations of deformities. Since it's unlikely that Assyrian artists working on stone carvings in the 9th century BCE had ever seen 6002 or knew of its existence, it's unclear why there are similarities. Art and folklore among native residents of what is now the west coast of the US did, however, directly reference 6002, particularly the Klamath tribes of Northern California. They were aware of 6002 for thousands of years prior to the Foundation's arrival, and may have even understood some of its properties. They at least understood its significance, and established settlements around it. The Foundation gained access to the tree in 1909, and formed a treaty with the Klamath tribes to study it. The treaty was soon broken though, and the Foundation quickly acquired the land surrounding the tree, killing off most of the individuals in the area, and amnesticizing the rest through highly dubious methods, largely lobotomization. Every settlement near the tree was burned to the ground, 
and the Foundation later destroyed its own containment records concerning the event in order to sweep it under the rug. We do however have the results of their initial tests on the tree, starting in November of 1910, led by Dr. Manfred. They created a provisional site at the base of the tree's crown, where the branches begin, so that researchers could spend multiple days in the tree without descending. The tree proved to produce new growths at an alarming rate, with Manfred turning his back on a ladder for a few minutes only to look back and find it totally grown over. However, much of this growth withers away just as quickly, and Manfred wonders what decides if a new twig stays or goes. Later, Manfred and his team were walking down a branch about 20 minutes from their camp when they heard a tremendous sound described as rupturing, echoing, and inhuman, like a soul on the racks of hell. A moment later, an enormous branch about 200 feet long withered off the tree near them and fell to the ground. When they examined the spot where the branch had been, they found that there was no sign of breakage, but just smooth wood, as if the branch had never been there. They decided from then on to always be attached to the main trunk with a rope and harness. Manfred later writes that he remains unconvinced that this is actually a tree at all. When you touch parts of it, it doesn't feel like wood, and you'd swear that you're brushing up against fur, or scales, or skin. And then there's the noises, as the wind through the branches sounds more like howling than anything else. In September of 1914, they would get their first big clue about the nature of the tree, as the last known instance of the passenger pigeon died in captivity in the Cincinnati Zoo. At the same time, the tree shed a large branch, and Dr. Manfred hypothesizes a link between the two events. The Foundation continued to gain a further understanding of gene sequencing, and by 1922, Manfred confirmed that the branch that was shed contained passenger pigeon genetic material. Things would then get really interesting in 1924, as we're given a few more journal excerpts. Manfred and another scientist had been working all afternoon on a branch, and they were ready to descend when Manfred lost his footing. As soon as he felt himself slip, he reached out for a smaller branch just above him. As the branch was a newer growth, it snapped right off, leaving only his harness to save him. The other scientist scolded him over it, but he told her to look at it as an opportunity, since they've never removed a living branch before. The ones that they've studied had fallen off themselves, and had dried up before they hit the ground. He also writes that he could have sworn that he heard another sound when the branch broke off, something higher pitched, like a yelp. Two days later, Manfred believes he has a genetic match for the branch, the domestic dog. Specifically, a small hunting breed that had been growing in popularity, the Manhattan Terrier. Manfred is fond of the dogs, saying that there was a whole pack of them on the next farm over when he was a boy, and they loved to chase squirrels. He's glad that this wasn't an extinction event, as he's not sure how he'd break it to the team and at the speed at which the tree grows, 
the branch is probably back already. Unfortunately, a week later, Manfred writes that the other scientist started crying when the news came in, and she hasn't stopped. He's trying to keep a brave face for the rest of them, but he hopes that God will forgive him for what he did. Following the branch breaking off, Manhattan Terriers experienced a mass die-off across the world, with previously healthy instances suffering cardiac arrests, strokes, and other ailments. Females became unable to produce viable offspring, and by February of 1926, the entire breed is declared extinct. The Foundation proceeds to engage in a widespread disinformation campaign to expunge records and memories of the Manhattan Terrier, and is considered successful on November 4th, 1929. Following the incident, Manfred updates the containment procedures to ban all experimentation on the tree, and to limit ascent to personnel trained in climbing equipment. Dr. Wildcat leaves a comment saying that she's never heard of the Manhattan Terrier, and that even back then, the Foundation's greatest strength was escaping accountability when it messed up. She at least commends Manfred for banning testing on the tree, and writes that if he's listening from the afterlife, to not be too hard on himself. One species gone isn't that big of a deal in the grand scheme of things. Manfred's ban on experimentation would last for quite a number of years, but in 1989, a new research team was appointed with the goal of entirely mapping out the tree, led by a Dr. Muller, with Dr. Wildcat as a junior researcher. They oversaw a research team consisting of several hundred personnel, and they did end up successfully mapping out the genome before the end of the century. In March of 2002, Dr. Muller proposed initial testing of genetic modification, he wrote to one of the O5s, requesting clearance to test some gene therapy on a species of fungus. The O5 wrote back, commending the doctor for his work so far, but modifications to the tree simply don't justify the risk, and they want him to preserve the structure in its current state. Muller responded by telling the O5 that this decision was remarkably short-sighted, as this is the most potent medical and scientific tool in history. He doesn't see the harm in picking an insignificant species and seeing what's possible. The O5 took the decision to the rest of the council, and it was still denied, with them subtly warning Muller that his position is not irreplaceable. In July of 2002, however, an SCP breached containment and reached a major population center, killing 78 Foundation personnel and an estimated 1,200 civilians. The SCP is eventually terminated, but it regenerated from an egg laid before it died. The egg was recontained, but the O5 Council ordered it to be destroyed. Of course, nothing the Foundation does results in the egg's final destruction, so they declare its neutralization to be infeasible. Sensing an opportunity here, Dr. Muller writes again to the council, proposing to modify the genetic material of the SCP on the tree to make it more easily containable. The ethics committee votes to reject this proposal, but they are overruled by the council, 
and Muller begins testing on August 4th, 2002. They first seek out the mechanisms governing the SCP's reproductive cycle, which turns out to be no different than that of an American bison. They proceed to sterilize the entity, and kill the current instance of it contained by the Foundation. The entity is reborn from an egg, but is found to have no reproductive organs. They then modify the entity's growth pattern, changing it so that it will stop growing shortly after infancy. They once again kill off the one in containment, and it is reborn from an egg, but stops growing after birth, remaining the size of a newborn. The SCP is downgraded from Keter to Euclid due to no longer being a major threat, Dr. Muller is given a promotion, and is given increased security clearance to continue his cross-testing work. Dr. Wildcat leaves another comment, writing that the other junior researcher, Amara, did all of the genetic work while Dr. Muller just stood around and watched, saying how lucky she was that he'd picked up on her work. She bought her a drink later that night, and Amara finally opened up to her after years of being standoffish, mostly talking about how terrible Muller was. Between 2002 and 2008, Muller and his team proceeded to weaken or neutralize 109 Keter-class objects and 418 Euclid-class objects via genetic modifications to SCP-6002. In an unrelated development, the financial crisis of 2007 and 2008 resulted in most world governments cutting funding to the Foundation, and the bankruptcy of 31 Foundation front companies, leading to a combined 21% reduction to the Foundation's operating budget. Dr. Muller proposes doing enhanced genetic testing on 6002 for the purpose of revenue generation and his proposal is approved. They first create a new strain of the common apple tree, causing the genome of the strain to appear in 6002 as expected. The genome is then modified on the tree to include material from SCP-500, which is capable of curing any disease. The resulting apples are marketed as holistic cures for the common cold, and even though they gain a wide following within two months, the apples don't prove to be any more effective for relieving cold symptoms than over-the-counter drugs. Next, they created a new breed of cattle, and modified the genome to include material from SCP-1007, one of the Wondertainment Little Misters that can go through the entire human life cycle within 75 minutes, before being reversed back to infancy. The resulting cattle proved to revert to calf stage following slaughtering and butchering, allowing them to be indefinitely slaughtered for meat without feed or housing expenses. The third test they do involves modifying the genome of the common domestic chicken to insert a new genetic disease. This results in the death of 7% of the global chicken population before the Foundation began marketing a new treatment for the disease. They ended up selling 700 million doses of the treatment within four weeks. In April of 2009, however, the disease was found to suddenly no longer be appearing in newly hatched chickens, and upon review, it was discovered that Dr. Wildcat 
had modified 6002 without authorization, removing the disease from the genome. She's detained and questioned by Muller, and even though she tries to lie that she didn't do anything, they have footage of her ascending the tree on her own. Muller tells her that she can't just take it upon herself to decide what's best, as who knows what would have happened if she had made a mistake. She proceeds to cuss him out, and he gives her a choice, telling her that if she apologizes now, he'll put in a good word for her with the O5 Council, which might spare her. She's silent for a moment, but does end up apologizing. On Muller's recommendation, the Council agreed to let Wildcat remain on the project in a clerical position, rather than demoting her to D-Class. Muller proceeded to re-modify the chicken genome, putting the disease back in place. I mentioned earlier that Rose is the director of Project ARC, and the next section of the document, locked under an even higher clearance level, concerns both Project ARC as well as Project Eternal. Project 6002 ARC was a counterintelligence, military, and information security campaign run by the Foundation between June of 2014 and 2021, with the goal of concealing the destruction of an entire taxonomic kingdom of life, approximately 1.3 million species. This loss of life was due to that genetic infection that's spreading throughout the tree, and it turns out, of course, that the Foundation itself was responsible for creating that infection. It came about when the Foundation was tinkering around with the tree in an effort to eliminate the effects of aging among human beings. Dr. Wildcat explains that you likely know about the various kingdoms of life, such as animals, plants, and bacteria. Perhaps you remember learning in school that there are six of these kingdoms, but you didn't actually learn it in school. You learned it from Foundation conditioning. There were actually seven kingdoms of life up until very recently, with the seventh being the Aeterns. They lived on land and in the oceans. Some were large and some were small, some were feared, some were hunted, and some were even domesticated. There were 1.3 million species of Aeterns before June of 2014, but now there are none. Most of the species required food to survive, although some were capable of producing energy from the sun or other sources, and they were a part of ecosystems similar to animals. Most notably, however, they did not experience the effects of aging, and were highly resilient against cancers and other cellular damage. We're provided a few example species of the Aeterns, such as the Hatsagopteryx, a winged apex predator with wingspans up to 15 meters long that mostly resided in subtropical Africa. They had a habit of preying on cattle, so they were widely considered to be a pest species. The bright whiskered dragon was an enormous reclusive resident of Nepalese and Tibetan mountains that had been critically endangered since the 1950s due to being hunted for its scales, which were both dazzling and rumored to have medicinal properties. 
The giant tusker was a quadruped that formed protective familial bonds with people, animals, and aterns alike. They were often used to protect livestock, and it's believed that they were domesticated as early as 5000 BCE. They were named for their prominent tusks, which molted and grew back each year, and were among the most intelligent aterns, capable of learning up to 200 different commands. Foundation geneticists had been interested in possibly using genetic material from the aterns to slow or eliminate human aging for years. Dr. Muller proposed using 6002 to run some experiments on the subject in May of 2010. The original test was to take genetic material from a single atern species and insert it into the genome of the chimpanzee to see if it would be eventually viable for humans. The first test quickly failed due to the genetic material decaying too quickly once removed from SCP-6002. They tried using a couple of chemical solutions to preserve the material upon removal, but both fail, so Muller requests access to some anomalous methods to help. The request is approved, and they gather materials from a number of anomalous organisms, including SCP-106, and SCP-682, but it still fails to preserve the genetic material. Muller then tries spreading the chemical mixture onto the tree before actually removing the genetic material, and this finally works, allowing them to remove the material and insert it into the chimpanzee genome. Chimpanzees under foundation observation for the following 24 months show no visible signs of aging. They then remove the A-turn genetic material from the chimpanzees and observe them for another 24 months, finding that they've returned to normal. Satisfied that all will go well, they proceed with the human test. Unfortunately, when they went to insert the A-turn material into the human genome, 6002 rejected it, and the material quickly disintegrated, causing minor damage to the tree. The O5 Council disallowed any further testing to prevent damage to the human genome. Three days later, Dr. Amara observed what appeared to be rot spreading around the area where Dr. Muller had taken the Atern genetic material from, the giant Tusker genome. She cut away the infected area, but the following day it reappeared around the incision. She wrote to Muller asking about it, but he reassured her that he has it under control. She pressed further though, asking what exactly is going on, since she worries that they'll lose the entire branch. Dr. Muller acquiesces, and says that the two of them should head up and check it out. Following this, Amara was not seen on site for 72 hours and Dr. Wildcat, working at the time as Muller's secretary, became concerned and asked the site security team about it. Dr. Muller was questioned, but couldn't account for her whereabouts. The security team ascended the tree and eventually found Amara's body, covered in several layers of growth and with a single gunshot wound to the back of her head. The O5 Council was informed, and security officers immediately headed to Dr. Muller's quarters, but they arrived too late, finding him dead by hanging. In a surprising turn of events, 
Dr. Wildcat was promoted to project lead the following day due to being the only remaining researcher with operational knowledge of the tree. She proceeded to head up the tree to investigate the rot, finding the giant tusker branch to be almost entirely rotted away. She believed that this rot had been ongoing for months, but was concealed by Muller. She was granted permission to remove the entire branch, and a foundation disinformation campaign began to cover up the extinction of the giant tusker species, which occurred over the next seven months. The rot, of course, continued to spread across the tree, and the organisms sharing the infected genomes also experienced a decay, represented as a rotting of the skin and organs similar to untreated leprosy. When all of the species' genome has decayed within the tree, any remaining members of that species experience instantaneous decomposition, appearing to fall apart on the spot. The Foundation has so far found no way to prevent the spread, only able to slow it down by removing infected areas. Dr. Wildcat eventually figured out that Muller caused this infection by directly applying the anomalous chemicals to the tree itself, and it might have been possible to contain the infection had it been discovered earlier, but Muller had concealed it from everyone for at least three years. She leaves a comment that when she first removed the infected branch, she went back to her room and cried all night, as well as the next morning for both the devastating effects of the infection, as well as losing Amara. She says that her little sister had a stuffed tusker growing up, and brought home picture books after school about them, but now she can't even remember that they existed. We're given a truncated timeline of Project 6002 ARC, starting with the giant tusker extinction in 2014. The Foundation decides to cut off the entire branch of the Tuskers in order to try and contain the infection, and a large-scale amnestic effort begins to contain knowledge of the Tuskers' extinction. They later find that the infection has spread to the entire family of creatures that the Tuskers belong to, and they decide to delay cutting off the entire branch in the hope that they can contain the infection in other ways. In October of 2014, however, civilian researchers notice the effects of the infection in the family of creatures, and the Foundation fails to stop word from leaking. In December, the family branch is ordered to be removed, and Dr. Wildcat is reprimanded for delaying on acting on the order for three days. In February of 2015, members of the Global Occult Coalition contact the Foundation regarding possible cooperation on dealing with these sudden extinctions, which they have identified as anomalous. The Foundation denies any knowledge on the issue and refuses to cooperate. By June of 2015, the infection has spread to the majority of an order of Atern creatures, around 40,000 organisms. Later that year, a number of GOC operatives launch an attack on the site containing SCP-6002, with captured individuals revealing that they are aware of the tree and believe that the Foundation has failed to address the ongoing crisis. In January of 2016, multiple news outlets report on the anomalous infection, and the O5 Council declares it to be a mid-level, broken masquerade scenario. 
The GOC soon attacks the 6002 site once again, this time in cooperation with members of the Serpent's Hand, Chaos Insurgency, and the MANA Charitable Foundation. The Foundation manages to stop the attack once again, but they come back a couple of months later, this time also aided by the US military. It seems not even the Foundation is that prepared, and they lose the site. Dr. Wildcat and her staff are presumed to be imprisoned or deceased, and a high-level broken masquerade scenario is declared. Two MTF teams attempt to retake the site, Hammer Down and Red Right Hand, but the operation is unsuccessful. During this time, nothing is being done to help stop the infection, so by October of 2016 it's believed that the entire A-Turn Kingdom is infected. In July of 2017 though, the Foundation receives communication from Dr. Wildcat, who reveals that she has been hiding within the tree since the site's capture, and she provides vital intel regarding the GOC operating at the site. Soon afterwards, the MTFs manage to retake the site, and Dr. Wildcat immediately advocates for the excision of the entire Aeturn Kingdom from the tree. The Council approves, and on August 19th, 2017, the mass extinction of 1.3 million species begins. The Foundation works with civilian ecological teams to redesign heavily impacted ecosystems via anomalous means, but these operations are frequently attacked by anti-Foundation groups. By July of 2020, all of the A-turns are considered deceased, and the Foundation shifts their efforts to mass disinformation and memory editing, including global deployment of amnestics via the jet stream and the water cycle, taking control of media, government offices, and institutions of higher education, expunging all records regarding minor Atern species, and disguising all records regarding major Atern species via various methods. By September of that year, most of the global population had either forgotten the existence of Aeterns or became convinced that they are fictional creatures, and attacks on Foundation sites substantially decrease. By April of 2021, the Foundation declares that all knowledge of the Aeterns Kingdom has been removed from human memory and historical record, resulting in a cessation of attacks on Foundation sites and the veil is considered acceptably intact. Despite all these efforts, however, the infection was found to still be present in the tree, and it's forecasted to reach other kingdoms within 12 months. The Council orders Dr. Wildcat to investigate the idea of preemptively removing other sections of the tree in order to stop the infection, but she goes missing instead. The final section is a comment left by Dr. Wildcat, and I'll take the time to read it in its entirety. When the Foundation first explored the tree, researchers wrote that they were plagued by strange noises, howls, rustles, screams. My people have another way of describing these sounds. They are the tree speaking to us. It speaks with the voice of every living thing. Sometimes it is the voice of the coyote, boasting of its recent hunts. Other times it is the voice of the smallest bird, somewhere far off in the jungles of another land, 
calling for its mate. On lucky nights, many voices will rise all together, singing the songs of the forest, or the sea, or the sky. My people once knew these songs well. Then came the foundation. When it arrived, we were hopeful. We had seen the tree suffer as human cities grew. We asked the foundation to help us repair it. Instead, we were rounded up, slain, and erased from the tree and the land around it. The foundation believed it had captured all of us. It was wrong. A small group of my tribe's elders escaped the slaughter. They determined to split up, fleeing to the corners of the earth to preserve what they knew of the tree. Some were captured and killed in future years. Others persisted, marrying and raising families. My great-grandmother was among them. On my thirteenth birthday, my mother and grandmother took me into the basement of our home and told me about the tree. They showed me the journals my great-grandmother filled, describing the smells and the feel of the branches and the sound of the songs over and over to herself so she would never forget. They told me of the men who had stolen the tree from us. That day, the tree became part of my identity, as it had been for generations of my people. I resolved to study and to work. For ten years, I studied and worked my way to the top of my profession, waiting for the call I hoped would come. Eventually, it did. I was recruited into the SCP Foundation when I was 23 years old and assigned to a new project researching the tree. The work was tiring and unforgiving. My only comforts came from being close to the tree. I slept, worked, and lived within it. When the Foundation began experimenting on the tree, I fought with myself over what to do. Eventually, I simply could not stand it and risked my own life to try and repair their damage. I was found out, of course, and only narrowly escaped execution. I remained on sight, bearing the daily insult of Muller's harassments as best I could, and bided my time. Sweet Amara did her best to cheer me in secret. I was not allowed into the tree anymore. But even from a distance, I began to hear something behind its songs. A lower, more menacing tone, like a cornered beast. I know now that Muller had already begun to conceal the harm he was doing, and that the sounds I heard were the tree crying out in pain as the blight spread within its branches. After Amara, after I became site director, I could finally ascend the tree again and find the source of its pain. When I did, I knew that this was what I had been working for. It was my duty to defend the tree against the horrors that its oppressors had perpetrated. I brought to bear all my skills, all my education, everything that I was. When the foundation fell and lost control of the tree, I fled into its branches, hiding deep inside. It shielded me. I subsisted on its shed growth and continued my work, always aware of the pain behind its songs. It grew louder each day. I became convinced that there was only one way to save it. The infection must be cut away.
whatever the cost. Regrettably, I knew I would need the oppressor's help to do this. So I exchanged the new master for the old and helped the Foundation regain the tree. Then I cut away every inch of infection I could find, and much more, deeper and deeper into the wood, until I was sure that no blight could remain. I knew the harm that this would do, but I also knew that I had saved the tree. Last week, I discovered that I was wrong. The blight remains. I murdered trillions of creatures across the world for nothing. That, perhaps, I could have lived with. But when I fled again into the tree this week to hide before I could be ordered to continue cutting, I found a truth I cannot face. Its branches have gone silent. The tree will no longer sing to me. Baluansham, Mother, Amara, forgive me. The file ends by informing us that the system can no longer detect any life signs from Dr. Wildcat, and the file closes. Wildcat worked her entire life in order to preserve the tree to the best of her ability, but the Foundation, primarily Dr. Muller, could only see its potential benefit to humankind. Wildcat eventually performed the most extensive form of triage in the history of the planet in order to save the tree and save what species she could, but not only did it prove to be entirely ineffectual, she lost her connection with the tree. This ultimately proved to be more than she could bear. Now, the infection is spreading through the tree unchecked, and it will eventually remove every living species from our planet, up to and including humans. The Foundation will likely try all sorts of drastic measures before it comes to that, and perhaps something may work, but it doesn't look good. It's not the first time that the Foundation has messed around with things beyond their control and understanding, and it likely won't be the last. But let's be honest. Rubbing secretions from SCP-682 and 106 onto a tree containing all life on Earth was a really, really dumb thing to do.